We're ready to look at James and to gain, I hope, a finish line focus. That's going to be the emphasis that we look at through the book of James. Although he doesn't talk about a race, uh, he really talks about what it is to mature our faith uh, so that we're standing in the end. And so with that in mind, I'm just going to say straight up um, uh, that I've only run when I've kind of needed to run in life. I played soccer through college, and so I ran uh, in those seasons. Uh, as of late, I haven't run, obviously. Um, and there are different times. But some of you guys, I see you running. Anybody out here that have run a race in the last five years, you know, whether it's a fun run um, or any, any out there? Come on, I just want to see. See, I've seen, I see some of you guys have been running. And I just want to tell you, I admire you because every time I've run in my life, it hurts. Um, I just can't get to the place where it feels good. Uh, it never felt good. And I find the older I get, whenever I start again, I mean, it's just like worse. And uh, so it is. But I find that not just in running a race, but in most of life, it, it translates. But when you run a race, for those of you that are runners, that you get in that race and you're, you think you're going to be competitive in your age group or in, in your bracket, whatever it is, I've noticed that, that those runners, they don't start off fast and wear out and quit the race early. They've trained. They know that distance. They know how to run that distance. And so they, they don't flame out because they, they burn themselves out. Likewise, they don't start off so slow that they uh, fall so far behind that they get discouraged. They, they don't get disinterested in the race. Instead, they run with this continuous poised control, this pace that they know they're going to run. They typically run with a watch, they calculate it, they know what their pacings are, but they're not concerned about the pacing of that first mile, they're concerned with their average pacing of the whole race. Because when we have a finish line focus, we think about the entirety of the race. We think about not just the season that we're in, we think about the completion of all of the seasons together. The starting of a new year is opportunities for us to think about the, the races of life that we find ourselves in. But I'm not just talking about 2020. Uh, we hope if Jesus tarries that we will get to see 2021, right? Otherwise, there was a service for us and people will grieve uh, our passing unless Jesus comes back, right? And so we're going to anticipate that he's going to tarry and we're going to continue to share the good news as long as he does uh, and, and be ready for whatever. But even so, in the race, it's not just a year that I want to talk about. I want you to think about the race of your life. For some of you, this year means uh, starting a new job. Some of you, you're, it's been a transition, maybe even within your job or your company, and there's a new start. Some may be new, moving at uh, some point of this year to a new community, or maybe some will be moving into our community, and there's a new start. There's new opportunities. Some of you have in, in entered into new relationships and you're enduring and experiencing some of the firsts that come along with that. Others of you, maybe you're having a child or a grandchild and you're entering a new season, whatever it is. All of these new things, it's exciting, but it's not really the start that we're concerned with. It's about the race as a whole and it's about a focus at the finish line. And so today, as we begin studying over the next 10 weeks this book of James, we're going to dive in and, and notice 
that James lets us know from the start that his goal for us is to stand complete and mature, lacking nothing, so we can finish well, so that we can receive the crown prepared for those who love Jesus and who stand with him at the end. So as we focus on the finish, James 1 is going to help us today learn that trials and temptations strengthen the one focused on the finish. That it's trials and temptations that actually strengthen us when we're focused on the finish. This is not a popular topic. We don't dive in here and say, all right, James, tell me more about this. But today we're going to consider three ways that trials strengthen or temptations strengthen our finish line focus today as we study uh, the first 18 verses in James chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, let's look at the first four verses. I'm going to stop after the first word, James. Two of Jesus' disciples were named James. Theologians do not believe that this was either of them. Based on the dating uh, of the book, we believe that this was one of Jesus' younger brothers, James. In theological circles, they call him James the Just. James, he claims, is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. He's recognized that after the stoning of Stephen, the church has spread out all over the entire uh, eastern world, at least at that time. And so James is just writing a generic letter that he hopes circulates to them all to edify, to encourage the church, to edify and encourage those who've started the race because he wants them to have a finish line focus so that they're standing in the end. And this is how he begins that in verse 2. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Underline this word. Highlight it. Whatever you need to do. Because we're going to see this word seven times in these 18 verses. This is really a crux of what uh, James begins with. This is a big deal to James. We're going to see it translated to trials or temptations. We get a second word that, that means similar, but it is also here in the next phrases. In verse 3, because you know that the testing, there's the second word, of your faith produces endurance. And the, let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. What big words that James has for us. The first way that trials and temptations strengthen our finish line focus that we see in these verses is this. It produces faith-tested maturity which lacks nothing. The good news is we all have the capacity when we're in right relationship with Jesus to be tooled by Him to the place that we lack nothing that we need. Sign us up, right? I mean, we all want that. We all want to get to the place of maturity, and it's not going to be based on our goodness. It's going to be based on His goodness and on what we accept in that relationship. But Jesus wants to mature us to the place that we lack nothing, that we are skilled, that we are tooled, that we are ready for whatever comes our way. And He begins by talking about emotional health by saying we need to consider it a positive, exciting, a joyful thing when we're in the midst of trials. This word trials is a word that doesn't just mean a trial. It's, it's speaking of the length. It's speaking about the process of the pain that you endure as you wrestle with it. 
Kind of like when you are running a race. It hurts, but you're thinking about the finish, and so the hurt is worth it. When you're wrestling with God over a temptation and you're struggling, the, the enemy tempts us and it's in, with something that's enjoyable, but it's something that tears at our relationship with God, and so that's why we wrestle with it. That's why we feel the, the tension tied to it. And, and we've got to endure all of those challenges, all of that hardship, so that at the end we can see the big picture. And that's what James is getting at. He's saying, consider it a joy, and not just any joy. This is a great joy. In the Greek, it's pasan kara. This is a joy that is, that's all joy, like everything to the full degree of joy is right here. And it's crazy, right? Whenever we face these trials, most of the time we don't go in there saying, yes, God chose me to suffer with this. Thank you, Lord. But don't miss the why. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith produces perseverance or endurance so that we can finish the race. This endurance that makes us mature and complete, it produces in us a completion that lacks no thing. So that we are equipped, we are ready for the race. And don't miss the faith piece in that too. The testing that goes on right along with the trial or temptation is a testing of our faith. This isn't just a testing of, are you going to make it financially? It, just, it isn't a testing of, is your relationship going to make it till death do you part? It's not just merely, it might include these things. It's not a, are you going to be pleased with the parenting of your child when they graduate from your household at the age of 18 that always comes faster than we ever want it to come? It's not going to be, what's it going to be like at the end when I retire? Am I going to feel satisfied with my work? It's talking about the testing of our faith, this vertical relationship with God. That's the most important thing to James. And it should be the most important thing to us. This testing is of our faith. It's of our relationship and struggle with Jesus. And that's, again, that second word, that testing word, is the second word we see it twice. We could go on. If we do lack, the next verse tells us that, that we should ask God who's generous in his giving. He doesn't give begrudgingly. He gives even though we don't deserve it. And when we ask, we should also have a faith that is secure. It doesn't doubt. He goes on to talk about our faith shouldn't be like the waves of the sea that, you know, that crash and are here and there. Instead, we should believe that we're going to get what we, we've asked of the Father because he is good to his children, especially when we learn to ask, as we're going to see even later in this letter uh, here in several weeks, we're going to see in James chapter 4 that sometimes we don't get what we ask for because we haven't been asking with right motives. And so here it is that James is, is opening the door even to that later conversation. We need to learn how to ask, but we also need to learn how to have faith in the one that we are asking of. Yeah, if you're going to ask your physical parents, if you're going to ask your spouse, if you're going to ask your boss, they are limited. We are talking about we have the privilege and the opportunity to go before the eternal God that made us, that saves us, that wants to be with us forever. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he says, ask of me. He has the ability to give what we ask. Let's learn to give in his name and, and, to, give, and, to, and to ask for the things that he wants to see happen on earth as it is in heaven. 
heaven like he taught us to pray. And let's believe it to happen because he wants those things to happen. And the power of prayer is in the one to whom we pray. And so here it is. When we wrestle with our faith, at that moment when we're in the testing, consider it great joy. Our faith is being tested, which means we still have faith. If we're struggling and it doesn't feel like a struggle anymore, it could be, we're going to see later why, that we have desensitized ourselves, our spirit, and it is dead. And we need to pray in those moments for the resurrection even of our faith so that we can endure the struggle and see it as a joy again because we are on the focus at the finish line. When we make our finish line goal, the mature faith, that is produced by such testing, then we'll be able to cling to the second way that trials and temptations strengthen our finish line focus. And we see this in verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. And I know I'm skipping verses, but I always invite you to go back and study those. They are right there in context. But verse 12 says it this way, Blessed is the one who endures trials. The second time we're seeing that first word I, I told you about. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The second way that temptation or trial strengthen our finish line focus is this. A worthwhile prize awaits those who finish well. A worthwhile prize awaits those who finish well. Again, this is actually, we, we see in, these, uh, in this verse, both the second use of uh, perasmos, the word of trial or temptation, as well as dokimos. When he has stood the test, that's the second word of dokimos, and the last time that we'll see that word. Blessed, this is the second time that we're seeing emotional maturity as part of our spiritual maturity. This word blessed is makarios in the Greek. If you have studied the Jesus' Sermon on the Mount back in Matthew chapter 5, he starts out with five or eight, excuse me, blessed statements. We call these the Beatitudes. How do we have a mature attitude when we face uh, things of this world? And here James is giving us that same word, makarios. This is the blessing. We are blessed when we understand what the race is about. If we've endured to the end, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. It's not a crown of financial value. It's, it's a crown of life. It's not reflecting or referencing our mortality, but our immortality, referencing the eternal life that Jesus Christ wants to give his followers. I don't know about you, but there's not a greater gift that I can imagine than the gift of being in God's almighty presence forever. Again, not because I deserve it, but because he is good and wants to give it. Because he gives generously without finding fault. And notice our faithfulness through the testing is our way to show God that we love him. Did you catch that at the end of verse 12 there? That's a a big deal that we've got to understand. That if we want to show God that we love him. Most people know the first verse of Jesus loves me. The third verse goes like this, Jesus loves me, or that's the second verse. So the third verse is, do you love him? Does he know? Have you ever told him so? Jesus loves to hear us say that we love him every day. Yes, Jesus loves me. 
Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And we sing those songs to our kids, but that third verse, what a big verse. Great, he loves us, but do we love him? That's the reciprocation in this relationship. And, and I love that that verse is in there and it reminds us that, that it is reciprocal. We need to love him back. Also notice this. Every time that we're in a trial or in a temptation, every time we say no to that temptation, no to that trial, we are saying, I love you to God. That's what this is saying. If we've endured the trial, if we've gone all the way to the end of it and we're still standing with him, we've said no to that so that we can say yes to something better. That's our I love you to the Father. And even there, we cannot outgive him. He turns around offering us life eternal with him. That's the crown of life. Let's find the third way that trials and temptations help our finish line focus in verses 13 to 15. These are big verses. These are all worth memorizing. So we've seen two times the use of parasmos, this trial and temptation. We're going to see it five times in these three verses. You ready for this? This is big. This is the crux of what we're getting at and a beautiful visual that James gives us. He says, no one undergoing a trial the first time we see it in these three verses, should say, I am being tempted, the same word, we just translate it different, that I am being tempted by God, since God is, and this time I'm cheating it in there because that's aparasmos, he is not, it's just using the, the negation in the front of it, but it's still the same word, because God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. This is big. The third way that trials and temptations uh, encourage or strengthen our finish line focus is this. They remind us that we've not yet finished. And I think sometimes we need reminders not to become complacent in our faith because we are not there yet. When in the midst of our trials, James is saying in verse 13, when we're in the middle of it, we shouldn't say, God is the one doing this to me. God is putting me in, in the midst of this struggle. It's, it's his fault. He made this earth after all, right? He, he made the system. He made opportunity for it. Shame on him. Why, God, was I born? Sometimes we get to the point of saying, oh, why did you make us to endure this struggle? And if we don't miss it, we'll miss what he would say to that. And that's because I love you and I want to be with you forever. So don't let a little struggle today ruin eternity with me. Because this is a big deal to God. It should be a big deal to us. But when we're in the midst of it, we don't say, God is the one doing this. And why not? Because we need to understand a fundamental characteristic of God. Because God is not tempted by evil. Why? We see it in the next verse. But God is not tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each of us is tempted when? By our own evil desires we are dragged away and enticed. This is the stuff we want. Satan doesn't tempt us with the things we don't want, friends. 
because we don't want them. But the things that we desire, he uses to try to sucker us into his camp. Come on over. You know, this is the ticket to ride. Get on over here. And we go, all right, it's fun. I'm with you. Hey, culture said that's okay. Sweet. I'll, I'll learn a new game. I'll go a new way because that's just fine. And James is saying, no. <laughs> Don't miss that the very fundamental reason that God is not tempted and that God doesn't tempt anyone because he is so pure, he doesn't have the capacity because he doesn't want that stuff. The reason why we struggle and why he doesn't struggle is because we want it. And that's why the tension exists, and it's why we have to fight the tension. But the good news is, when we're feeling it, we're reminded that we've not yet finished. Notice the reasons we've not yet finished is, namely, that God is not doing the tempting. God is not doing the tempting. That means that you're not a finished product. The enemy still sees you as an opportunity to win you. You're not yet finished. And you do not have to give in to the temptation. We still have flesh-tied passions that need to die before they kill us. Don't miss the progression there in verse 15. For when desire conceives. We understand what that means. You see the picture here? When desire conceives. I, my kids love that I have this ability, right? Desire conceives, and it gives birth to sin. Why? Because we feed it when it's in, in womb, don't we? It, it started off here, and, and we, we invited it in, and we let it brood, and we, we fed it. We grew that thing. But when we gave birth to it, it was sin, and just like a child... It doesn't stay small. It grows. And it grows, and we got to keep feeding that thing, don't we? And we feed that to a place that all of a sudden, it's now controlling us. And where does it lead us? Look at That's exactly what the text says. When desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. And unfortunately, in the midst of this battle, some of us are not going to choose life. We're not going to receive the crown that God has prepared for those who love Him because we're going to be choosing the thing that we pursued and it's going to kill us eternally. And that is the picture, that's the image that James wants us to get. We have the ability to conceive either path. We can let faith grow in us to a place where we are led to life and freedom and eternity with the Father because He is good. Or we can say, you know what, I'm not good and I'm just going to give myself to this world. I'm going to make my kingdom here on earth. And I don't care about eternity. I don't care what Jesus did. I don't care what he says. I'm going to blame him anyways that I'm even in the midst of this struggle. And all the time he's saying, come and join me. And we've got somebody else pulling it. And we're not done with the race. And that's a good thing. Friends, what we feed lives. What we starve dies. What are we feeding? And what are we starving? 
We need to feed our life-giving faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to starve the temptations that are trying to kill us. Look at verses 16 to 18 with me. This is big. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By His own choice, He gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of His creation or of His creatures. God wanted to give us a new start, a new life. He wanted to say, you know what, you can have an end to that struggle and the end of that pain. Come and live with me. I want to give you the first fruit because I am good. Don't be deceived when we're in the midst of the temptation. I want you here with me, but don't forget the enemy wants you there with him. And that's the the tension. That's what we feel at the end of the day. In James's subtle way, he once more reminds us of God's provision and that his greatest gift to us is life and it's new life. Who is the us that's being referenced in this text? It's referencing us, those who have undergone the testing through temptations and trials and who have chose their faith in God and his word of truth over the fun of our own worldly passions. Bottom line today is simply this. Find joy in fighting temptation and feeding your faith. I ask you to take two pieces of paper today. And I want you to take a moment and and just reflect. You know where you are in life. There is something that the enemy has a hold of you on. There is a sin in your life. that the enemy wants to use to destroy you. He wants you to give birth to it because he knows you're going to feed it. If there is a time in the scripture that, that it's okay with abortion, it's when it comes to the conception of sin. If we've conceived sin before we've given it birth, it's time. That's the only time we see in the scriptures endorsement to, to abort. It's okay at that moment. Get it out. Get it gone, because if we give birth to it, we're going to feed it, and it's going to kill us. It's going to lead to eternal separation from the Father, because we're going to choose it over Him again and again and again. What is it? There is something in your life. When you figured out what that is, we intentionally in our logo, I knew it would be a season before we had a building, so what do we do? How do we let know people that we're Christians? We're not a cult. We're going to teach what the Bible says. We're going to uh, live in this way. And I'll, it's fun. Now that we're four and a half years old, we've endured all of those concerns in our community, or most of them. I don't know if you're still hearing them. I wonder, is that a cult out there meeting in the middle school? Uh, I don't know. But it's what I do know is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And when you've written down the thing that you want to get rid of in 2020, the thing that has been ensnaring you and entangling you, you want to fix your eyes on Jesus, you want to grow in a thing that's going to encourage you and motivate you, I want you to take that and I want you to spend a moment just praying and and giving it to Jesus. And then I want to offer you the next step 
during our closing song today, I, I want this to be the most disorganized song ever because we as a church decide that we don't want that anymore in our lives. Maybe. It usually works. The enemy is in this thing. He doesn't want to shred these. Jesus does. There's a button right here in the middle that if you press it, it'll keep turning that engine. In addition to that, I want you to share with one or two people this week. Be bold. This is going to be the next step. This is going to be the thing that's going to keep it going. What that is. What did I give up? And give them permission to speak into you and to ask, how's it going? The second piece of paper, I want you to write on it a thing or things that you might need to do to begin feeding your faith. If you were with us last week, uh, I, I challenge you, there's six things that I would like you to pray for once every day throughout the course of a week between now and Easter. If you didn't get that, um, let me know. I'll get that to you. I'll give you a copy of that digitally so that you know what are the six things that you want to be praying for. One thing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, taking Sundays off because we're going to be here in corporate worship. For some of you, it might just be prayer. Others, it might be reading God's Word. Others, it's, it's going to be uh, something else, maybe another spiritual discipline. Maybe it's going to be uh, just time stopping doing something else so that you can meditate on God and His Word. For others, it's going to be fasting. It's going to be things that you're going to begin uh, specifically saying no to so you can say yes to God. What are we going to starve? What are we going to get rid of because it's hurting us? And what are we going to add this year and hopefully for the rest of our lives on earth so that we can have a stronger relationship with God so that in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that temptation, we have a finish line focus that says, I want the crown of life. Not because I ran so well, but because I serve a God that gives generously without finding fault. Because every good and perfect gift, it's just that it's a gift. It's not something we earned. It's given to us. It's a gift and it's from above. It's from the Father of lights. The one who spoke and made light come into being. That's the one, and that's what he wants for us. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite the band to come, and they're going to play a song. And I invite you to interrupt that song as you will. But don't do it because everybody's doing it. And don't do it because the pastor has to do it. Do it because you're ready to say, be gone with this. And make sure you're sharing that with a couple of people this week. And I'd also share the thing you're adding. What's the thing that you're going to feed your faith? Share it with somebody that's going to care about you. And it's going to encourage your faith in 2020. God, we are so thankful that when we are in the midst of trials, we don't have to give in. We don't have to let them kill us. Instead, we can even have good mental health that says, this is okay. It's, it's even a good thing. Because you want to utilize it to mature us so that we stop wanting those things that drag us away and entice us, those things that lead to death in the first place. Because we begin starving them as we begin feeding the things that are going to keep us from them. God, I pray that you will effectively utilize our faith to impact other people who maybe don't have a faith or who are just wrestling with what faith might look like.
Help us to stand on your word, to value it so that what you say and what your word says and means to us, we will effectively say we will do because we are yours, Father. And I pray that that produces in us a visual reminder, even to this world, that we can look different, that we can live different, we can live in freedom and with peace, even with joy in the midst of temptation and trial because we are blessed, because you've given us a crown of life, and our citizenship is not here, but it's with you forever and ever, and we give you the glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen.